Doing something for the first time is almost by definition going to be the hardest time to do it. And I think what deters people from sticking, from persisting, or for even trying is the fallacy that the first day experience will be the day 365 experience. And what you have to remember is you're going to get stronger. You're going to get better. If you're trying to write a book, your first draft is not going to be the best book, but you can't get to that final draft if you don't do a crappy first draft. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Future of Work Project. My name is Derek Franco, and it is my great pleasure to introduce you to this program dedicated to bringing together smart and thoughtful leaders and innovators experimenting with new and unique ways of working. From remote work and culture to research into the peak performance of human beings, we'll learn alongside these experts pushing the boundaries today. It's my pleasure to introduce today's guest, Warren Schaefer. Warren is the co-founder and CEO of Knowable, an immersive audio platform with expert-led courses focused on helping people learn new things and accomplish life goals. During our discussion, Warren and I will touch on how learning is evolving today in a society where free time is so short. We'll also look at how companies can produce actual value for their users in such a noisy world and how aligning priorities with their customers gives teams a big advantage. And finally, we'll look at how companies like Knowable are experimenting with different ways of working and investing in their people for the long haul. And with that said, it's my great pleasure to welcome to the show, Warren Schaefer. Thank you for being here, Warren. Thanks for having me, Derek. No, of course, of course. And so, you know, it's kind of funny. Um, when I originally started planning this future of work project, um, you know, the goal from the initial planning stage was really to just do a lot of research on the future of work and compile the results into a book. And a friend of mine actually suggested that I actually look into podcasting. Um, you know, he was basically saying, you have to do all of these interviews anyways. You might as well turn them into a podcast and get this information out into the world earlier, get some good feedback. And while I loved the idea, I knew nothing about podcasting at all. And, uh, you know, as I mentioned to you before, I, w- I stumbled upon uh, Knowables starting a podcast course. And, you know, it really just gave me a good uh, starting point to, to really turn it into this. And so, you know, I really thought that that would be a great place to start the conversation is, uh, could you tell us a little more about Knowable and really kind of how you went about starting it. Absolutely. Knowable is an audio first education platform. So we make high quality audio courses so that you can learn anywhere, anytime. And really the idea for the company, part of the genesis was my co-founder Alex and I were mining what were our problems. And mm-hmm. a big problem for us is we both feel short on time, but we both want to learn. Yeah. And we're, we're post-college uh, by by over 10 years now. And, uh, you know, the pace of change in the economy is accelerating. And we believe that it's more important than ever to, to keep learning. And it's also, it's also very satisfying, but I am, I am a parent of two kids who are under three years old and found that I do not have a lot of free time for structured learning. And, uh, and, and so we decided, Hey, wouldn't it be nice if there was structured learning that could get delivered through audio? 
No, that's great. That's great. And that's kind of why you guys went after this audio first style of learning versus, you know, as a lot of people have been investing in video over the last couple of years for learning content. Yeah, exactly. So e-learning is a $300 billion plus market, but pretty much every player in that space is focused on video first. And this idea that you have to stare at a screen in order to learn. And as you know, the challenge of that is that screen time is limited and there's a, a lot of saturation in the video market. And um, audio, we think is at a real inflection point where more audio time is getting unlocked thanks to things like wireless headphones, connected mm -hmm. cars and, and smart speakers. And, uh, and, and there's also a renaissance in, in the audio format too around how to make audio feel cinematic and engaging, even though it's not uh, uh, visually present. No, no, that's a great point. That's a great point. And, you know, there's been, there's been a lot of growth, uh, just as you said, in, in really a lot of the audio market. Um, I mean, you know, really these last 10 years have just seen a boom in it. Um, do you think that it's still kind of early on for audio, even though that there's so many people that are kind of jumped in and are, are leading and, uh, you know, you, you actually have some big players with, you know, a lot of money that are actually building programs in, you know, podcasting and, you know, news. Um, is it still early on? Is it still easy for people to kind of jump in on this audio learning? So I, I think the audio space is, is maturing. Uh, it's still probably early days in terms of people being able to find an audience. So for instance, you, you're, you're starting a podcast. I think that you will, you will be able to find success. Um, uh, in terms of audio education, we actually think that we're really pioneering a new format. So uh, we don't think of ourselves as a podcast company. What, we, what we're creating is audio first courses. And uh, it's, it's different than a podcast, right? If you think about a podcast, it almost by definition doesn't have a beginning or end. It is a series of episodes that hopefully for if it's up to the podcaster will go on forever. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you think about efficient education, uh, you want to transmit information quickly. And, and so really the podcast model where, where it's ad supported and, and endless is a bit orthogonal to the idea of efficient education. I kind of want to tug at this string a little bit, you know, the idea of efficient education. Um, you know, we kind of live in a world today where really the access to, to knowledge and learning tools has expanded just greatly over the last couple of years. Um, and it's really led to kind of a big shift on how not only people access information, but what they can learn. You know, the breadth is the breadth of information that's available to people is just so vast. And I'm curious, do you kind of see shifts on how people are learning right now when it comes to, you know, just accessing all of this information? There's no doubt that there is an explosion of information. And I think the challenge is how do you know what information to rely on? And uh, we're probably anybody listening to this podcast probably agrees that self-learning is increasingly important to stay relevant in a ever changing economy, but how to best self-learn is still being figured out in a world where there's so much information. And so part of the challenge and part of the solution that we think Noble is tackling and bringing to the table is this idea of curated and trusted content where uh, right. Anybody could create a course called how to make a podcast, but what we've gone and found is a host who has done hundreds of podcast episodes, who runs a podcast production company. Uh, and then he goes and talks with other experts who have years of experience in the mm. audio space to really guide you and, and give you the information that you need to get from A to Z and to, to get started versus going and finding probably a hundred podcasts to talk about podcasting and then trying to piecemeal that information together and sifting through on your own. Uh, to try to find out what's what's credible and what is not. No, that makes perfect sense. 
what were some of the initial courses that you guys focused on building uh, at Knowable when you first were, you know, kind of working on the product? Yeah, we're, we're just a few months in. So we launched October 2019 and uh, started with just a few courses. Uh, one of them was uh, Launch a Startup, and that features Alexis Ohanian, who's the co-founder of Reddit. Oh, yeah. Amazing. And yeah, uh, he's he's a wonderful person and a wonderful entrepreneur and just just an amazing job of distilling key learnings from his journey, both as a, as a founder and as an investor around what to do and what to not do when mm. uh, when launching a startup. And there's a host of other people involved with that course, including the founder of Everlane, the founder of the sneaker marketplace Goat, uh, startup lawyer from Cooley, an investor from Upfront Ventures. And uh, and, and so the, the, the rationale there was we just knew some of the best people in the startup space. My co-founder Alex and I have been working in startups for over a decade and uh, knew that we had access to some of the greatest minds uh, who would be willing to lend their mentorship to a, to a broader audience. And so that, that was one of their first courses. Uh, the other course, which is uh, and, and how we got connected is uh, make a podcast. And the third course that we launched with is uh, sleep better tonight. And there are really three pillars that we're focused on for content. One is career, two is self-improvement broadly, and three is health. Mm-hmm. And, and we thought all, all three of those fit into those uh, initial content pillars. It's amazing. And, you know, there are a couple pieces in there that I'd, I'd really love to touch on, starting with the idea of focusing on things that really people can can actually use or apply right away. You know, if you're if you're just like me, I was looking at the start a podcast course because I was looking on how can I learn these basics? Um, someone that's looking to launch a business, it makes sense on why they would, you know, go after and look for educational content around being able to launch a business from people that have done it before. Do you think that as there's more reliable information and more sources that this could potentially change some of the ways that we educate, or I guess less about educating our children, but really just about the educational system in general. You know, will college still be the de facto in 20 years if we have reliable informational sources that people can learn from outside of just a standard curriculum, um, you know, as they're, as they're growing up? Eric, it's such a good question, right? A lot of people are asking it is our current educational model the right one for the economy that we're in today? And the consensus seems to be no, but there isn't a clear consensus of what replaces it. Yeah. And there's when you double click into what the educational system is today, there are really two areas of benefits that a, a college can provide. One is the actual curriculum, and two is the stamp of approval. And, and I'd say three actually, the third one being the social milieu and the social connections that you get from being in the same physical space as a group of people in a a similar cohort and going through a similar experience. So I think certainly in terms of the curriculum, there's a huge opportunity for disruption, right? Uh, Things like Coursera and Khan Academy are are sort of education 2.0. I think there's still room for improvement there, right? So rather than just having a didactic lecture streamed to you over video, Noble is thinking about, okay, well, how can we actually fit learning into your life? Yeah. And, and what's education 3.0, where it's personalized and it comes with you as you go through life. Uh, and then in terms of the stamp of approval, I think there are certain brands that will always have weight and can justify a, a high cost because of that. But I think there will be a, a calling where 
if, it, if the stamp isn't actually that helpful, then you might be better off just focusing on improving your skills and not going into student debt, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's the other big issue with the educational system today is it's extremely expensive and the amount of student debt that uh, people are taking, taking on is, is increasing. Uh, and then in third, in terms of the social network, I think, I think that's something that, yes, a university can provide, but there are also other ways to get that, right? So things like meetups and online communities are, are increasingly providing a way for people to find each other outside of a formal institution. So I wouldn't bet that colleges will look the same way they are today in 20 years. Mm. I, I think people increasingly will have the option, right, and, and be able to make an informed decision about, okay, do I want to go into debt for this degree or do I, is there a way for me to accumulate skills that don't require this level of indebtedness? And maybe, maybe colleges are helping with that. And, and maybe there are other platforms and educational tools that are available that are also disrupting and putting pressure on colleges. No, agreed. Agreed. Um, so this idea of kind of the, the stamp of approval, I think it's one of the things that will need to be adapted in order for kind of a big shift um, in education for sure. How do you think that people are going to be able to kind of get this stamp of approval as far as, you know, companies or um, resources that are focusing on creating educational content? How, what do you think will replace the stamp of approval of a degree um, in the future? Because it seems like that is a very, very hard thing to do and not something that just comes very quickly. It takes time. Yeah. In many ways, the stamp of approval of the degree is a proxy for you having learned some skills. And I think that platforms that technology will start to provide better ways for people to prove that they have certain skills, mm -hmm. right? So for instance, having a progress bar of, hey, here's here's what I've read. Here's the courses that I've completed. Here are the skills that I've been deemed proficient at by a standard body rather than this one particular university. Mm -hmm. So so I think credentials will be something that technology will get better at providing more accurately for people. No, I agree. I agree. And, um, you know, my, my background, as I mentioned before, um, is in engineering and it's kind of a running joke right now um, in the tech space uh, for engineers where it's, you know, the, the whiteboard problems where it's, you know, somebody could be coding for 15 or 20 years. They've done all these amazing projects at these big companies, but they'll still look at the whiteboard problem as like the end all be all for hiring purposes. Right. And it's like, you know, this person can't remember that they're supposed to use a red black tree for this certain type of traversal for this whiteboard problem and they don't get hired, right. but you've been using a piece of software that they wrote for years in your own personal projects. It's like, how does that make any sense? Yeah, exactly. It's becoming increasingly apparent that some of these gatekeepers are outdated and are validating for things that don't matter as much in today's workforce. Yeah. Um, so one thing I actually wanted to you know, dive a little into was really kind of the, the market you are going after um, as well. So, you know, Knowable building this content is really going after kind of a consumer marketplace. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, your, your previous company, Vidme, was uh, in the consumer space as well, correct? Correct. Yeah. What challenges are you seeing today um, really in kind of the consumer product market? I mean, th there's a lot of there's a lot of content being created today. There's a lot of noise being generated. I mean, I guess what what challenges are you seeing in particular today that, you know, maybe we're a little different when you were building Vidme, um, you know, a couple of years back. So definitely agree with you on the noise component. And we have a, a, somebody on our content team who has a quote, which is the bottom of the internet is a very crowded place to be. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very pithy and accurate statement. And, and 
my opinion, and really our learning from Vidme, which was a, a user-generated video platform, mm-hmm. is that it's, it's true. And there's no shortage of, for lack of a better word, it's subjective, but bad content. And so what, what happens, and we, were talk, we talked about this earlier in, in our conversation, is there's this glut of information. And so increasingly, you need to look for some signal that the content is premium and worth your time, right? And, and there are many ways to, to arrive at that. There are social networks which upvote the best content. But uh, our, our sense is that when you have a paid product, when people are actually paying for content, the, the expectation becomes, it is very high, but it is also self-reinforcing, right? Mm-hmm. This idea of there, there are no advertisers on the Noble platform, and that's by design because we want to provide the most value to our customers. We want to be aligned with our customers. And therefore, the onus is on us to to create great content and surface great content that is uh, is is effective for mm. helping people learn more and achieve their goals. No, that makes perfect sense. And so it's it's the value of the content created versus just you know as you said, content for content's sake. Yeah, yeah, it's quality, not just quantity. Yeah, that makes sense. And you know, in a world where just as you mentioned, there's so much content being created every day. How can somebody, whether it's a brand, a company, an individual, stand out above all this noise? It's probably everything, right? You really have to be exceptional, I think, to stand out today. You have to build a trusted brand. You have to over-deliver on the content, on the user experience, on the regard for the end listener or customer or member, whatever you call it, whoever you're making something for. Mm-hmm. I, you really have to care about them. And I think that consumers today have a really strong sense of smell for when when a brand is bullshitting them and and so the onus is is on companies to to really go above and beyond and under promise and over deliver no that makes perfect sense that makes perfect sense and i love the way that you really looked at what consumers may want when you guys were building the initial courses for knowable um so you know as you said you know you were focusing on education for you know starting a company for starting a podcast and then focusing on this idea of improving your health um, and so, you know, the course that you had mentioned um, on the health side was the how to sleep better. Yeah. And uh, it's kind of funny because I've been doing a lot of research on this myself over the last probably year and a half. Um, definitely was one of those, especially in, in college in my early 20s, was one of those engineers that, you know, loved pulling an all nighter uh, yeah. just to get stuff done. And, you know, realizing now, you know, getting closer to 30 that it's not scalable. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I've really been focusing more on on sleep. Yeah. How did you guys originally come on this idea of, you know, we're going to build a course around sleep first? And, you know, what what things did you guys initially learn that, you know, maybe you've applied as you're building this company as well? Yeah. Why did we decide on sleep? In the health category, it's one of those subjects where everyone has an opinion on it and none of them seem to be clearly based in science. And so we thought, hey, wouldn't it be great if a journalistic host goes out and talks to all the experts at the top of their fields and, and really tries to suss out what's real and what's not? Mm-hmm. And, and rather than relying on sort of BuzzFeed-like articles about sleep, uh, what's, what's the latest and greatest from Oxford and Harvard and Stanford research? And that course it was really illuminating for me personally, actually, because it really reinforced this idea of, of just how foundationally important it is for everything else in life. And that, to, again, to this question of why do we pick this course, it's it's one of the most important things you can do for your health, right? It's uh, Rest is, is extremely important, and there's a lot of myths and over-information around sleep. And so we wanted to 
to clear the air and, and provide something that felt authoritative and trustworthy and actionable too. Right? Because if you're if you're better rested, then you can be more productive. You can be a better person in the world. You can increase your your human impact in a positive way. And for Noble, our, our end mission is to to help people get closer to achieving their potential. So we want people to be well slept. Um, in terms of what I personally learned, a fun fact is, if you had to guess, what would you think the average the, the recommended temperature is for for sleeping at night in a room? What's the ideal temperature? So I'm a little biased now because I've read a couple of books on this one now, Um, but I will say beforehand, I would have said warmer, Um, but it's colder, isn't it? It is. It's 65 degrees. So, so it can help, you know, and that's one of those things where if you, if you have a partner you sleep with, then you can sort of point to the thermostat dispute and, and settle it, uh, scientifically. Yeah. And it's, it's funny how, when you learn those little fun facts, um, you know, you kind of change your behavior a little bit. Uh, so, you know, even when I go and walk uh, my dogs at night, this is actually going to sound a little funny, but I actually try and splash some water on my face before, and then I, I won't wear like a jacket or anything. So it's a little cooler uh, yeah. just to reduce the body temperature. So when I get to bed, yeah. I know that I'm going to be more likely to be tired at that point. And, you know, it's such a little thing, but yeah, you know, knowing the actual scientific details, you can change your behavior in just a little way to, to get those benefits. Totally. It's one of those things we, everyone does every day or every night. And so, so even a micro improvement at, at scale can, can have a huge impact. Uh, another fun fact on, on sleep is, and we, we all, I think instinctually know this, but just how bad blue light and caffeine is for sleep. Right. And so really hearing straight from an academic who's done the actual research who's you know, prime, who's done the primary work saying, look, if you drink caffeine afternoon, it will disrupt your sleep. Even if you are falling asleep, the quality of your sleep will be diminished. And this leads to this vicious cycle. So for me, I've really, since taking this course, have have changed my caffeine intake behavior, I've changed the temperature of my room, and I've also changed my phone hygiene around really trying to to stop using my screens and phones an hour or two before I go to bed. That's great. That's great. And you know, I really would love to kind of touch on that a little bit as well. We live lives that are are connected. I mean, just 24 seven. Yeah. Um, especially, especially building companies. Um, that is something that is just hard to turn off because it is innately part of you. Um, you know, it's, I, I often find myself working 12 hour days on accident versus trying to, um, just because I, I just put everything that I love into building these companies. And so, you know, in a world that's kind of always on 24 seven, how do you personally kind of look at managing, just like you said, you know, your screen time, um, or just your, your time that you are just on in order to get this rest? First, I think it's accepting the fact that rest is important to be productive. There's a yeah. Harvard Business Review study that was published that basically shows that the most productive people are focused at work and then they're focused at rest. And, and a really pithy way of saying it is rest is work, right? You, you cannot be a productive person if you do not know how to rest well. Now, it's easier said than done, right? Yeah. <laughs> Especially, I agree with you. Having a startup, it is your identity becomes so wrapped up in the startup that it is, it's what you talk about, it's what you think about, it's what you dream about, and and so it is. It is really important to find something else that can stimulate you and give you energy outside of just a startup. Mm-hmm. Because I think that just like when you sleep, you you solve problems in your head. When you rest, you also can become more productive uh, out of work. So personally, I really start at the beginning, which is how do I wake up and what's my morning routine? Mm -hmm. And I recommend this book, which 
such a cheesy title. I'm always, I always have to give basically a disclaimer ahead of time that the <laughs> book is actually much better than the title, but it's called Miracle Morning. <clears throat> and uh, it's very, it's, it's a very actionable self-help book. And there are just some really great recommendations from that book. Uh, one of them is set out a glass of water the night before when you go to sleep. And the first thing you do when you wake up is you drink that glass of water. And that serves a couple of purposes. One is it uh, you're dehydrated. You haven't drunk water for a while. And that's one of the, the leading causes of tiredness. Uh, and two is it creates a sense of momentum in the day. You wake up and you have that fogginess of where am I? Who am I? What's this all about? And uh, the act of inertia carries you through that first task and, and you feel like you have momentum going into your day. Um, so that's just one example of, of something that, that he recommends. Another thing that somebody else recommended that, that's not in that book uh, to me is this idea of when you wake up in the morning, the first thing the first thing I do now is I think of somebody or something that I am grateful for. And mm -hmm. it is just sets the tone for the rest of my day of, oh, uh, you're, you're, you're starting the day on a positive note. So anyway, long-winded way of saying that, that the morning to me is really important for setting this idea of rest and productivity and thoughtfulness and mindfulness about how I want to approach my day and, and life too. No, no, that's great. That's great. And um, it's actually funny that you touch on the topic of, of gratefulness as well. Um, a lot of the interviews that we've been doing recently, people have been touching on this point in general that, you know, when you have kind of a passion for something that you're working on and really gratefulness in your life, everything becomes 10 times easier. Yeah. Um, and you know, that's something I actually did want to, uh, kind of dive into a little bit as well is it seems like, you know, your passion really is in just building companies. And, you know, this is something that is inherently very difficult to do. Um, but you know, as we mentioned earlier, if it's something that you love, you can just kind of dive into it 110%. People often, when they want to jump in to do something, they, they just don't. Right. Um, and that seems to be something that, you know, you've been able to kind of get past. You've just gone and built these companies. Yeah. What usually is that barrier to entry for most people that, that want to do something? Is it, is it a skill set issue? Is it a, you know, more a mental barrier? Doing something for the first time is almost by definition going to be the hardest time to do it. And I think what deters people from sticking, from persisting or for even trying is the fallacy that the first day experience will be the day 365 experience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what you have to remember is, hey, you're going to get stronger. You're going to get better. If you're trying to write a book, your first draft is not going to be the best book, but yeah. you can't get to that final draft if you don't do a crappy first draft. And unfortunately, we're better critics by virtue of the experience that we have than we are practitioners in almost any field before we start. So that in my mind is a major obstacle for a lot of people to get started is this fear of, oh, I'm not good enough at day one. And you have to remember, nobody's good enough at day one. Yep. Everyone sucks. <laughs> and some people might have more natural talent than others, but everybody can get better if they really want to, and mm. if they stick with it at whatever they do. No, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And, you know, this kind of is a good segue into one of the things that I was really interested in talking about is how are you approaching knowable or building knowable a little bit differently than you were building Vidme? Talking to customers. And so we actually got connected because you were a noble customer and we reached out and said, Hey, we'd love to talk with you and, and hear about your experience. And it's one of those pieces of advice that older founders always tell younger founders to do and younger founders always somehow disregard. Yep. And 
it's so crucial because you, a startup is basically a vehicle for testing hypotheses and mm. you want to learn fast. And mm. so the best way to do that is to talk with customers. And so it's not, not to say that we didn't do that at our previous company, but it is a higher priority for us today than it was at our last company. And I think it, it sets us up for greater likelihood of success. From a business model perspective, it's really important to us as a company to be aligned with our customers. Mm -hmm. And so this idea of not having advertisers be in the middle, because then it creates a perverse incentive where whoever's paying you is your customer, right? So I think one of the problems that Facebook and YouTube are experiencing right now is their incentives are not aligned with the customer's incentives because there's an advertiser in the middle and the advertiser is incentivizing the platforms to keep people on the platforms as long and as much as possible. Mm. And that's not in your best interests as a, as a human, I think. Mm -hmm. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. And you guys are building the company remote this time around too, correct? We are. Yeah. Pretty much the whole team is in LA, but LA is a sprawling city with a lot of traffic. Yep. And <laughs> we decided to run an experiment where we, we would uh, not come into an office every day and, and see what happens. And there's certainly pros and cons to, to the arrangement, but overall we feel that the pros outweigh the cons and we're excited about it. What are you guys seeing on kind of that pros and cons list right now? Less commute time for everyone. Commutes, numerous studies have shown that commutes are one of the easiest ways to kill your happiness. And the amount of salary you needed to compensate for a, for a lengthy commute is extremely high. Uh, so, so it increases employee happiness and it reduces lost time. Two is it allows us to find talent all over the country and all mm -hmm. over the world, frankly, and it, rather than being geographically isolated and, and minded. And three, it gives people the flexibility to work the way that they work best. Every, not everyone works well, eight hours a day. It's, we're not in the factory business, right? This, mm -hmm. We're in a, we're a creative company and people need to go on walks and take a break to do their most productive creative work. Mm -hmm. And we think that a remote environment can, can really help with that in terms of allowing people to go to a coffee shop, to change their scenery, to change their routine, to, to keep them stimulated and inspired. Mm -hmm. No. And then I guess some of the cons that you've had when you're building remote so far. Humans like being in the same physical space as each other for the most part, right? Maybe engineers are an exception, but uh, <laughs> we've got a lot of creative producers on the team who come from places like NPR and Washington Post. And it, it is, there is something lost in the digital communication format. And so there's a balance to getting people together in the same room, especially for creative projects um, that, that we still think is important and, and are, are trying to find that right balance. No, for sure. For sure. And one thing that you said that was very interesting that I'd, I'd love to kind of get more information on is, you know, this idea that really the, the work structure that we have today, you know, this idea of kind of eight hours of just work is not really a good system for the creative mind. Um, you know, I, I've talked to multiple people that, uh, you know, whether they're artists or whether it's a you know designer or an engineer that have even said that some of their best thinking comes when they're either bored or when they are focusing on something completely different. Totally um, how do you think, you know, kind of having this asynchronous work environment really lends to the creative minds? One nice thing about 
everyone not being in the same office is that there's less interruption. Yeah. Right. So you can turn off Slack. You can put up an away message that just says, I'm doing focus work time. And it's easier versus if you're in an office, especially the open floor offices that have been popularized in the past decade or so <laughs> are, are so ripe for disruption, right? People, it somehow it, it feels okay to just go up to somebody and interrupt them. And so I, I think that task switching is, is very, is proven to be unproductive. Um, and having a remote setup liberates you from that temptation of just going to people and bothering them regardless of whether they're in the middle of something or not. Yeah. Yeah. It gives you a much really more crystal clear barrier of being able to turn off the distractions. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But it's also, it is also hard on the employee to, or, you know, if you're away from an office to have the self-discipline to not get sucked into another distraction, right? Like Instagram mm -hmm. or Facebook or YouTube or whatever, and look at the clock and realize, uh oh, you know, I've spent four hours and I actually didn't do any of my work. Yep. And so when you guys are looking to, to hire, um, for, you know, a remote position, how are you guys vetting that, you know, maybe this person has the self-discipline to be able to work remote? Um, I mean, are, are you looking for people that have done it in the past? Um, you know, if you're taking kind of a chance on someone who hasn't worked remote before, um, are there particular things that you're looking for in the interview? Yeah, I, I should preface all of this by saying we're really new to this experiment. So we're not experts at remote work yet, and we have a lot to learn. But certainly being upfront about the fact that, hey, the, right now the company is structured as a remote team, and we believe that long term as we scale this company, no matter what, you would have to have the muscle of remote communication. I read a tweet that basically when you move to even a second floor of a company, you uh, you are a remote team. Right? Yeah. You have people on different floors and you have to learn how to talk and communicate effectively over digital mediums. So uh, so, so one is just, does the is the person open to that, right? Because some people will say, you know what? I really just want to be in an office and I don't feel comfortable being on Slack and Zoom and uh, and that's it. And, and But most people are really excited by it. And that's certainly the pro, right? Is that people feel like, oh, wow, this unlocks hours of my day for where I don't have to commute to, to downtown LA from Santa Monica or Pasadena or wherever they might be. And, um, and gives me the flexibility to work where I want to work, to be home if there's a package that needs to get delivered, uh, to meet with whoever I need to meet if, if, it, if it's necessary, but to be more selective about what meetings I take and don't take. So, so generally people are pretty excited about the idea of, of that independence. Um, but we're learning that it's still really important to get together once in a while and, uh, and, and have some of that human, human time too. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the, the biggest thing that people are learning, uh, right now as they, you know, try the great remote experiments is how do you kind of bring in those, those social aspects as well. And, yeah. um, yeah, you know, we've experimented with different things as well. You know, we have, Sometimes it's just a call where it's just everybody kind of, you know, shooting the shit, you know, right. just something that you, can, you can't do when you're not in a physical office um, or, uh, you know, a good friend of mine that does a remote company as well. Um, they've actually done uh, walking meetings where both parties have to go out walking. <laughs> and uh, basically, yeah, it's just it's not a video chat, but it's just a phone call while at both of them are walking around, you know, their respective environments. Oh, that's funny. Um, so it's going to be interesting as people kind of experiment more. <laughs> One of our team members uh, worked at a remote company previously and brought the suggestion where they watched Die Hard all at the same time remotely. Oh, that's so a great idea. Just got popcorn and you know, <laughs> just 
joint joint movie time, but in your own space. So yeah, I think there's a lot of room for innovation and creativity around how do you connect people even when they're physically apart. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes perfect sense. And, you know, kind of a good branch from, you know, this topic is, you know, something that I, I really want to touch on just because it's it's an idea that we are focused on as well is this idea of building a tech company outside of the Bay. Um, you know, so we are doing kind of the same exact thing that Knowable is, you know, we're building our company completely remote, but a majority of our team is actually based in LA and it's becoming kind of more and more known that a lot of people are, are leaving the Bay in general. But yeah. I guess what was your initial, what was the initial ideas that came to you to say, you know what, I'm not going to build these companies up in San Francisco and, you know, I guess what benefits and I guess downsides have you seen um, from building a tech company that is not based, uh, you know, in the Bay? So one is the obvious, which is the Bay Area is very expensive. Yeah. Right? So the cost of living is high, which means the burn for the company to hire great people is higher in the Bay Area than in other parts of the country. Um, two, the reason I, I ended up in L.A., it, is for personal reasons, which was to be closer to, to family at the time. Mm. Um, and so, so there's a bit of confirmation bias for me, right. Of thinking, well, LA is a great place to, to build a company, but I probably would have thought that no matter where I decided to, to work on problem solving. Uh, but I, I think every region has its own unique benefits and challenges. LA has a long history of being a town of storytelling. Mm. And I think for consumer in particular, storytelling is so important, and that plays to LA's strengths. And so, so in my mind, LA is a, is a wonderful company to build a consumer brand. Um, and I think SF is is probably a better place for enterprise, yeah. just because that is more of its historical DNA. Mm -hmm. And that seems to be really what it's what it's become now. Um, I, I mean, you go up there, and San Francisco of 2013 and San Francisco of 2020 are very different places as far as companies go. <laughs> Yeah, um, totally. I mean, you could just look at the billboards in San Francisco versus LA, yeah. right? All the billboards <laughs> in LA are about TV shows and movies and all the billboards in San Francisco are about enterprise software. Uh, San Francisco, not to overgeneralize, but is is more homogenous, at mm -hmm. least from a, from a tech perspective. There is a lot of, there is group thinking. And I think if you want to have outsized outcomes, you, you have to do things differently by definition, yeah. right? If, if you do the same thing that everyone else is doing, by definition, you will have an average outcome. Yeah, exactly. No, I love that. I love that. Um, and I guess, you know, that kind of leads me to really one of my last questions, which is as you are building this business and, you know, you're experimenting with different ways of building a company, what kind of other trends are you seeing you know, other business owners try and attempt, you know, just similar to kind of what we said earlier, you know, the, the remote concepts that people are experimenting with the ability to kind of give people the social needs that they require as a human being. Um, you know, what things have you seen people kind of try in today's business environment as they're building companies? Companies are realizing that people are the asset that makes the company work more and more. Right. I think before it was a it was a throwaway statement that somebody in corporate communications probably made, right? Which is like <laughs> our people are our most important asset. Yep. And I think increasingly companies believe that is true. Mm -hmm. And it's a tight labor market and there's there's increased fluidity in the labor market. So if a company doesn't treat its employees well and invest in employees and employees will churn, and at the end of the day, that is bad for the company long term. 
right? And it's harder to be a bad player today than it was 20 years ago as a company, right? Because of things like Glassdoor and social networks increasing the speed of communication around signal of, is this a good place to work or not? Now, you can have the best intentions and still be a bad employer, right? And so you have to yeah. marry good <laughs> intentions and good practices to, to make people feel in flow. And, and the challenge is, is that different people want different things. Some people really care about impact. Some people care more about autonomy. And so I think a, a company's job is to, to be very clear about what its expectations are and find the right people for that company, right? It's mm -hmm. just, it's ultimately like dating. Um, but yeah. yeah, I think uh, we're seeing trends like self-care is really important, right? Mm -hmm. And there is this realization that, wow, uh, maybe things like Slack can be really useful and they can also be really terrible yeah. for an employee's <laughs> well-being, for anyone's well-being, yeah. right? This always on on culture. And so this is something that we're trying to get better at is how do we manage the, the pros and cons of this always on communication to make sure that people are getting good rest outside of work. And uh, one, one idea that, that I'm toying around with is this idea of basically asking everyone to report back on what's a creative project that they're working on outside of work. Oh, I like that. They want to share with the group, right? Because that gives you a sense of energy and a sense of enthusiasm for something outside of work. And, and my belief is that people who have a creative outlet that's not just their job ultimately are better at their job as well. Yeah. And so encouraging that as a company is something that I'm really excited about. Another thing that I'm toying around with, uh, and I haven't introduced yet, so I don't know how the rest of the team will, will take to it, is <laughs> because we are a company about learning uh, that's focused on learning and in great teachers, um, this idea of asking everybody to share something that they learned mm -hmm. on sort of a regular basis. So each week, you know, one person from the team giving a presentation on something that they learned recently and teaching it to the rest of the company. So those are a couple of ideas. Uh, haven't yet put them into, into practice, um, but I think we will soon. No, I think that's a great idea because uh, just like you said, if, if someone is very passionate about something, it, it's going to come across. I mean, you know, when I, when I learn something, I, you know, thank God my fiance is actually marrying me because when I learn something, I think that's all I talk about for, you know, a week or two after if I'm so excited. So <laughs> have, have you learned anything recently that you're excited about? The biggest thing recently that I've been on a kick on has been uh, kind of similar to what you were saying on the health or the self-care trend um, is really just about the microbiome. Mm -hmm. I am in a deep rabbit hole right now about the microbiome. Um, I mean, pretty much every morning I'm starting with some type of video on it. Oh. Um, but yeah, th that's been kind of the thing I've been diving down the rabbit hole on the self-care side right now. <laughs> cool. Good to know. Yeah, I think diet and sleep are these two areas where they're so impactful for, for a person's productivity and sense of self and we know so little about right? yeah and there's still so much murkiness around what's what's right and what isn't so that's cool and that's a good rabbit hole to go down no for sure and i, I think we're gonna you know you kind of said it perfectly earlier we're we're in this kind of learning renaissance right now where we're gonna get a lot of very useful information from scientific sources rather than you know just a lot of noise hopefully well, Warren, thank you very much. Uh, this was amazing, and I cannot wait for us to uh, sit down and talk again soon. Um, you know, we're going to have to meet up for, for an actual coffee uh, pretty soon in the future. Look forward to it, Derek. Uh, but this was fun, fun as well. Thanks again for having me. Yeah, of course, of course. Thank you very much. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of the Future of Work Project. Now, as with all of our work, this interview is part of our ongoing research, and I'd love to get your thoughts and feedback on the discussion. To weigh in, 
visit our website at fowproject.com or reach out on Instagram at the FOW Project. We'll be sure to share the feedback on our social channels and it could be featured in an upcoming episode. And with that said, thank you for listening.